Hey everyone, we have got such an exciting episode lined up for you today. We could not wait to get this one on the air. So today we are chatting to Kerry Brown, who's an experienced employee experience professional. (laughs) There will be a lot of uh, the word experience in this one. Um, She spent the last decade and then some of her career helping companies build inspiring workplace cultures. And she knows how to play strategically and tactically. And you know what? She's most happy when she's challenging the status quo in organizations. And I know this for a fact because I have seen her do it. Um, She's hailing from big complex organizations like Colgate Palmolive and uh, GWF to fast paced fintech startups and an award winning employee experience company. And Kerry blends her commercial smarts with a human-centered approach to deliver engaging people solutions for all things people, of course, performance, safety, leadership, and communication. Can't wait to dive into this one. Let's do it. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hello. Oh, this is so exciting. So exciting. We have a very special guest on today because we, um, Laura and I both jumped on and like told everybody pretty much that we know on the internet, like who's got questions about employee experience? Because we have Kerry on today and we've, um, we've both worked with Kerry in the past and we think the world of her. So this is very exciting. So hi, Kerry. <laughs> hi. It's very exciting for me. As I was just saying, it's my, um, it's my entree into the world of podcasting so I'm a little little bit excited popping my podcast cherry so um and likewise um you two are always one of my two favorites when I reflect on my time at uh that fintech (laughs) 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 I hope everybody heard that two favorites um <laughs> no, but what have you like? What have you been up to this week? That's usually our little like, you know, little warm up. Yeah. So let me start with last weekend. Last weekend, I was lucky enough to um, head up to the Gold Coast hinterland and spend some time at Springbrook with some friends of ours who have just built a beautiful little place up there. And you forget that um, Springbrook's and that whole hinterland region is so close to us. We've got the very good fortune of having amazing beaches and then those beautiful mountains behind us. So had a nice little recharge up in the mountains. It's a little bit dry up there, but not nearly as dry as it is down here next to the beach. Um, And then this week has been the usual kind of busyness of work. And I've been starting to think about some goals for 2020 to work goals yet I've decided I'm going to um try and run 10 kilometers by my next birthday which is the end of January which I've given myself a good two months (laughs) (laughs) setting a challenging goal um I just decided you know I'm in my 40s I need to move a bit more so so I'm gonna run 10k I'm gonna run 10 kilometers (laughs) why not in other fun things this week, I've been menu planning. I'm holding a little girls' Christmas lunch on the 14th for oh. my nearest and dearest. So that's been a bit of fun, thinking about yummy things to eat and drink. And So are you cooking? 
I'm cooking, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, and some people would probably find that like daunting, but I actually find it really energizing. I love that. Yeah, you're a great cook. So, yeah, so I'm excited about that. Like, I'm like, yay, Christmas. I'm like, getting my Christmas carol playlist ready. And <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, but what about you guys? Yeah. Um, Laura, what have you been? Oh, nothing much. I We bought a new car last week, so we took oh, it fun. out to Bruni Island on the weekend um, just to, like, test it out off-road, you know, in my soccer mum car. <laughs> 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 it went well. Um Last week, I dabbled in my first day rate, um, which was very exciting and it, it worked really well. Um, I got through so much in a day. I couldn't believe it. I was kind of like exhausted at the end. But So um, how does a day rate work? Like what is a day rate? So basically, a client will book you for the day. So it's just a set fee and oh. you um, decide on what you're going to tackle in that day prior. So you have a call and then a kickoff call that morning um, and you yeah, set some parameters and then just go for it. Oh, um, you wow. check in throughout the day and like on Slack or on a call or something. And then at the end you're like, okay, here's all these things I wrote. I actually rewrote eight website pages and what? a wireframe and did some UX things like notes and stuff for them to, when they put it into design. And I was like, wow, this is, I'm so tired. Wow. I think you might need to double your day rate. I know. <laughs> <Yeah>. I, think, <laughs> I forgot to eat as well, which is very unlike me. <laughs> I was like, okay, now I'm going to sleep for 12 hours. Goodbye. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, oh, that sounds yeah. fun. Yeah, it was super fun. Um, I've also been reading a couple of books, but we'll talk about that later. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Pop culture. <laughs> yeah, I've... Uh, it's been it's been a bit busy. My husband's been a bit um, not that good at organising his staff for the cafe. And so, you know, a good problem to have is that we have enough work that he needs to call me, but also it's a problem because then I have to go and I have to be there and then I have to drag the children with me and then they're like, this is boring, we want to go home. So, yeah, there's been that – was, that was pretty much my weekend – and then I'm just tired and don't feel like doing anything. But on the work front, we are, this will go, this episode's going to be live in a couple of weeks from now, but we're meant to be going live tomorrow. So after, I've been part of this project for almost two years. In January, it'll be two years. I call it a wow. project. Like I'm on this. Like it's not a, it's not, it's not a project. I'm, a, I'm part of this. Um, but it's, it's, a it's been a long, it's a lifestyle. It's been a journey and it's finally going live tomorrow. But um, I think we talked about this before, just because it's kind of been delayed and like people are in Christmas mode. Nobody, we're just kind of going to lay low, do some testing with, you know, people who are nearest and dearest and, and are forgiving and just make sure we're ironing out, you know, like we've done the testing, but we haven't done the testing with the live. So it's huge. We've built a super annuation fund. Like... That's massive. It's yeah, I feel like it's quite a big uh yeah, one of the guys like sent me a message saying he's like, you know, tomorrow we'll all um be rolling over into a fund that we built. And it just just like that met like just that sentence made me go, holy moly. <laughs> so yeah, that's yeah, let's you know, let's see how it goes. We'll um we'll be doing like promo and stuff come January, but for now, yeah. 
it's it's very 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 exciting so that's been <laughs> that's been my uh my week you deserve a huge glass of wine tomorrow night yes permission granted thank you <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> so today's episode um we kind of gave it away before but we're going to be talking about employee experience with kerry brown um <laughs> this yeah. person who kind of into like introduced us both really to employee yeah. experience and interviewed us both probably as well. Yeah. <laughs> so I find this interesting because we've both done the word part of employee experience um, in in-house roles. Yeah. And I think I worked with Carrie at two separate places now, which is pretty fun. And what was the last point? Oh, Internal customers are just, if not more important than external customers. Ooh, controversial. (laughs) More important. important. (laughs) (laughs) So first question, Kerry, tell us what employee experience is and what your role at Everyday Massive is now and what kind of your day looks like. Sure. So I think um, employee experience is in the field of people and culture and human resources it's a it's a kind of a newish term but it's getting lots of airplay at the moment and it's kind of um, the new hot thing in the people space um, from an employment perspective and I think lots of people have lots of different definitions of it so I think you can get really macro about what employee experience is and you can get really micro about what it is so if you look at it holistically, for me, it's it's everything that impacts um, a person at work. So whether that's um, their commute to work, the way they might experience an onboarding program, um, their learning and development opportunities, the office environment they work in, the relationships that they might enjoy or, or not enjoy with their manager. <laughs> it's everything that kind of impacts someone's experience at work and so we can look at it at that really kind of broad level and go um, how can we impact and what are the touch points and interactions that exist within someone's day someone's week someone's year or even someone's career and what can we do to redesign them for the better or we can go really granular and just kind of dig in and choose a touch point so in the work that I do with Everyday Massive, we kind of um, do everything in that entire realm, I guess. So we might work with um, a collaborator. We don't like to call um, in our world uh, the people we work with clients. We like to call them collaborators. Ooh, because, um, the work that we're doing is usually um, something that we're co-creating. So. Oh. We're not um, coming at it from a, we can solve your problem, but how can we solve this problem together? So they're our collaborators, not our clients. Um, And we might um, have a collaborator that comes to us and says, um, we've got a specific um, issue within our our internal comms that's right in your space. um, And we need to think about how we do this better. Or they might come to us and say, we think our safety culture is a bit broken. And, you know, so safety is just another part of employee experience. And when it comes to safety culture, it's just another part of that um, employee experience. So 
we, yeah, we're working with um, our collaborators on that whole range of experiences across the employee life cycle. So right from before a person joins the business, so what's our employer brand and what's the narrative we're building around that, right through to it might be um, how do we offboard people and how do we make that just as great experience as the moment that they came into into touch through with us through the recruitment process, for example. So my days are really varied. Um, my role is called head of experience. So um, the work That's that I've- a I'm fun doing, title. Yeah, that is a fun title. I, I, you know, I think about how long I've been working in this people space and if I like track back and did a little um, map of all the titles I've had during my career, <laughs> it would be hilarious. <laughs> um, I think, I, luckily, I didn't start so far back that I was in a personnel department. But, oh, my God. <laughs> um, I did start in the era of human resources. <laughs> um, so it is interesting to just see how it has evolved from um, kind of human resources through to people and culture or people operations. Um, and now we're in this kind of land of um, employee experience and dare say it'll probably turn into something else um, as it continues to, to evolve. But um, yeah, my days are really varied. I might be working on something quite tactical for a collaborator. So I might be, for example, today I was writing um, some scenarios for an online code of conduct, um, online learning module, or it might be stepping back and thinking about um, how are we going to tackle safety culture in a big tier one construction company um, and you're taking a much more strategic approach and a much more long-term approach with those kind of projects. So, yeah, so my days are really varied um, and it can be at any point of that employee life cycle that, that I'm kind of throwing my five cents worth of um, input and thinking, whether it's um, strategic thinking or creative thinking into how do we redesign an experience to make it better for the people that it has an impact on. Oh, wow. That, that is like, I'm just all ears on that. That sounds super exciting, but also lots of dealing with people <laughs> so like is that what like originally drew you like down this whole like HR and people and culture and now employee experience path like how did you what did that what did your path look like <laughs> look like so I I'm not one of those people that had a planned path oh, okay. <laughs> right. I went to uni I was like I enrolled in uni when I was 16 I was one of those weird wow. kids um, started school um, age five. So when I left school, I was still 16 and didn't turn 17 to my first year of university. Oh, wow. So, really so young. So young, like just a little tiny baby, all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed <laughs> to the big university I went. And I think my um, I had originally um, put down on my QTAC enrolment, as it was back then, that I wanted to do a Bachelor of Economics. For what reason? I have no idea. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> And I think it got to about two days before you could change your preferences. And I thought, I don't even know what economics is. This is ridiculous. <laughs> um, and I changed it to an arts law degree. And oh, okay. So 
Um, and then I, I didn't actually finish the law component of my degree because I just hated it. <laughs> and um, I left with um, the arts part and then um, was approached. I was an active member of the, uh, the Labor Club um, uh, on this, as part of the um, campus life and got to know lots of people in the Labor Party and up in Townsville because I went to James Cook University. I was a little rebel rouser. And so I was actually approached by um, the Australian Workers' Union to be part of um, a program that unions were running at the time to get younger people involved in the union movement. And so I went and worked as a kind of junior union organiser for a couple of years and that's what really probably led me down this path, if anything. It was kind of as a really green 21-year-old being thrown into um, industrial disputes <laughs> and trying oh to kind of understand from an employee point of view, like what was their issue and how can I help and how do I become an advocate for these people and give them a voice? Um, and, yeah, and I loved it. Um, I was going to say, there must have been something that that... that- you really enjoyed about that because I hear that and I'm like, oh my gosh, I would have, I I just would have run. (laughs) And it wasn't the arguing and the fights that you typically associate with um, unions that I enjoyed. I enjoyed hearing people's stories and I enjoyed hearing um, what were their pain points at work and, you know, what were the things that from it, you know, working from a union point of view that um, I could help them with and, so that's probably what led me down that path. And um, I ended up leaving Townsville because I fell in love with a boy and moving to Brisbane. <laughs> and I had to leave my job with the union. And um, I ended up doing a complete 180. I needed a job when I moved to Brisbane and I worked for an employer association. So people in the union movement were like turning their nose up at me and, you know, there were fists oh, no. waved in the air. Oh, there she is, the turncoat. Because <laughs> um, I went and worked for an employer organisation, which was the National Meat Association. So, oh my goodness, the meat industry. So, working for representing employers um, from butcher shops right through to big abattoirs um, and helping them navigate industrial issues um, with the Meat Workers Union. So, kind of swapping hats and looking at from the other perspective. Um, So I did that for a little while and then, you know, the meat industry is not particularly lovely to work in. I think I was, you know, just got terrified of walking around abattoirs in oversized gumboots fearing for my life. (laughs) I don't think I can do this as a long-term career option. Um, And kind of, went into another industrial relations role with the Queensland Performing Arts Centre, which then led me down a path of kind of moving more into HR and that's what I moved into a corporate role with Colgate Palmolive and spent, um, gosh, the next seven or eight years with Colgate Palmolive kind of building my my HR career. Um, So, yeah, so that's kind of, that was my path into this world and... um, having done it now for gosh over 20 years which just makes me feel old and sound old um 
it's a it's a really it's nice to be able to look back and see how much the industry has changed and how much the thinking has changed and how um, how much more progressive the whole um, the views and um, what employers are trying to deliver to their people, how far it's come. And there's still a, you know, there's still a long way to go. And I think I've been fortunate to work with companies who have been kind of leading the way and kind of at the forefront of that evolution in the people space, because there's Mm. certainly lots of companies that are still kind of lagging and wouldn't even have heard of this term employee experience and are still in that kind of, must get the most productivity out of our people without even thinking about how do we make this a great experience and are we actually serving our people in the way that we should to to reach the business benefits that we want. So, yeah, it's been interesting. I can't even imagine you doing economics now you said that. Like, <laughs> when I think you, like, embody the whole employee experience thing to me. Like, I when we first started working together, I had come from that traditional, like, HR is HR and their idea of like employee experience was like putting an egg on your desk on at Easter (laughs) and like (laughs) I remember walking into the office where we ended up working together just being like oh my god I finally feel like this is what work should be like um and I 100% think that's a testament to you like 100% oh uh, absolutely I still regardless of you know we had our little (laughs) ethical reflection and all of that stuff regardless of like what that product was and everything I still the best place I ever worked the best yeah and that is like yeah absolutely all testament to you (laughs) oh look I don't think it is testament to me I think um, testament to um, a leadership team and people at all levels of business wanting to create a good place to work and um, if there's one thing I've learned about um, the kind of roles that I've had the privilege of doing is that you can't do it by yourself um, that it's um, it's got to be um, a groundswell of um, desire to create that kind of environment um, and there still has to be it can't just be a good fun place to work there's certainly got to be we're creating this because it's actually a benefit for the business as well mm-hmm. and yeah, and so I think um, there always has to be um, leaders and champions within a business that um, support that way of working and, yeah, and and want to be kind of at that leading edge and do things differently and test and, you know, all the stuff that you see in the world of customer experience and using user experience and all the stuff that we were doing as a company, as a collective. You've just got to be able to spread that to all parts of your business. And and, and if you start with your people, um, then you're going to have more success. Um, yeah, well, so on that, um, I look, I've noticed quite a few studies around, I mean, mostly US, I'm sure you've got Australian ones that, that, that kind of show a correlation, a direct correlation between, you know, the increase in employee experience being linked to, the overall customer experience. So I guess like my question is, have you found that to be the same here? And, you know, what are the reasons for that? And why, like, why do businesses need to be paying attention to this? Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, there's, there's, there's plenty of studies coming through um, in all 
in all parts of the world that show that, you know, a great employee experience is directly linked to that better customer, uh, sorry, the, the customer experience and the employee experience being very much linked. Um, and I think the reason is, is that, um, you know, when you think about customers and what they want from um, the businesses that they're dealing with, they want choice, they want, um, they want to be respected, they want to have um, a really seamless experience, they don't want to be preached to, they want um, things that are convenient and engaging and, you know, every employee is a customer of some business and so the kinds of things that people are wanting from their experience with dealing with, I don't know, how I consume buying my shoes online is probably, you know, it's not too different to how I want to feel when I go to work. So yeah. I think the fact that we're finally cottoning on to the fact that they're so closely linked is, is not rocket science. <laughs> um, and if you think about the time um, that we were all working together um, and, you know, you think about the guys that were working in our contact centre and the amazing customer experience that they were providing to um, the people that use that product and how closely that was linked to the experience that they were having at work. It's, it's a bit of a no-brainer. So, mm, um, yeah, so if people's needs are being met um, on a work front and then I think it just, makes, it just makes good sense that that's going to flow through to how they're relating to customers, um, the customer experience that people are receiving back. You know, you, you know how you feel if, if it's an internal customer, if it's an external customer, if there's great rapport and things are going well at that level, then there's no reason to be unhappy. So, mm. yeah. I think you can definitely tell when you're being served by someone who hates their job too. Like yes. it's pretty obvious in their interactions with customers that they just don't want to be there or like you know they're in shit circumstances and um they give that to the customer then yeah yeah exactly and if you think about um even um from a customer experience point of view the level of personalization that businesses are now attempting to give their customers I think you're starting to see that really reflected from an employee experience um perspective as well so we're at this really unique point in time where we've got five generations of um, people working side by side in our businesses. And That's so crazy. Really? It's is crazy. So so think about what does the 19 year old want when they come to work versus the 62 year old. Wow. Um, so wow. everything matters now. So the level of personalization, the level of interpretation, how we use language, you know, mm -hmm. right in your niche around. So how do we how do we personalize an employee experience to meet all of those different needs? And I think the really interesting thing for me is when you boil a lot of this down, you can you can say um, a 62-year-old and a 19-year-old are really different. Their experiences with life so far is really different. The 62-year-old's been through uh, <laughs> gosh, I didn't have the internet. Now we've got the internet. Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I used to send my fax and the 19 year old's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. 
Um, but I think when you boil it all down, the people, um, they're still, I think a lot of the intrinsic drivers are still the same. And I think it's just then creating the right moments. Um, and actually, same as um, great marketers um, can push content out to segments of an audience, that's, that's the skill now within employee experience is that um, really skilled employee experience practitioners need to be able to segment their audience as well as the great marketers, the great, you know, mm. all of that to be able to go. We want to be able to deliver the same outcome, but we need to, we need to describe it and deliver it in different ways to meet the different needs of our workforce. So I think that that's a challenge now for, for really big organisations, especially. And making it accessible to everyone as well. So that's a big um, topic at the moment, especially with UX writing as well, is that accessibility component. Yeah. Um, um, I was at a HR and learning and development tech conference. Oh, when was it? I think it was a week before last or last week um, down in Sydney. And I remember going to this conference probably about four or five years ago um, and I think it was just starting out and it was quite small and the, the vendor display was, you know, there was maybe 20 vendors in the room while, they, while there was kind of keynotes and, and things happening around. At this one this year, there would have been, without a word of a lie, probably 200 or 300 vendors. Um, wow. The room was split between HR tech vendors and L&D tech vendors. Um, and so the whole landscape and that whole how do you deliver content to your employees is just changing so rapidly and it's becoming, you know, a multi-billion dollar business around people technology to support the efforts of creating great employee experience within organisations. So... I think about when I first started, like, I think email, maybe. <laughs> but, you know, it's just changed so dramatically. Um, and the interesting thing for me to think about when I was sitting there going, oh, look at all the shiny bells and whistles. Like, and I was like a kid in the candy store going, yes. oh, them, I want to play with them all. Um, but you kind of, if you think about the impact of technology, um, Within a, within a people space, yes, it can, it can create efficiencies and it can, it can, you know, it can certainly make things easier and you can create easier connections and you can deliver that content in different ways and you can personalise, but there's still a really strong human element behind it to get that delivery right. So, yeah, um, yeah. so it's just, a, it's a really interesting time to be working in this space, I think. Um. I, yeah, I've got a lot of, I've got a lot of questions today. I'm like particularly um, interested, especially because this um, next one is a little bit selfish because we kind of, you know, hope to be going into, um, I guess, a bit of a bit of a hiring, um, what's it called? Streak, I suppose. I mean, at least I'm hoping that's, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> so I'm kind of interested, like from the company side, how employee experience helps with the hiring process because I, <laughs> I've been part of this LinkedIn community for a while and I've got lots and lots of recruiters on there. And there's, I, all I see is constant complaining about too many rounds of interviews, right? But yeah. being 
on the other side, like being inside the business, like I also understand that, that like wrong hires are costly and not just in a monetary way, they're costly in many different ways. So I guess my question is kind of, you know, if you are focusing on, on employee experience first, like does that help with hiring or is that just sort of part of it or how, like how does that sort of fit in, I guess? Yeah, so from a um, from a recruitment point of view, I think it's it's all about getting you getting the narrative around your employer brand right, so that you're attracting the kind of people that you want as part of that recruitment funnel. Um, I think it's always an age old um, issue around too many rounds of interviews or too many assessments because the as you say, Branka, it's it's such a costly mistake for employers to make um, in terms of morale, in terms of cost. Um, so I think the for bigger organisations especially, the key to it is making sure that you've got the right mix of people involved in those interviews, that you haven't just got senior leaders, that you just haven't got the people and culture or employee experience or HR folk. Mm. Um, it's all those kind of really basic things. And then it's making sure that you're actually assessing people against the right things. So, you know, what is important to your business? Um, are you um, hell-bent on making sure that you've got the um, absolute technical specialists that you need? Or is there room to move around? if they've got 60% of the technical proficiency that I need and we can teach them the other 40% and they're going to be um, not the right fit, but a positive fit for your culture, um, then um, a culture add rather than culture fit, I think we've we've moved to. You know, and that's the whole, are we getting diverse people into our organisation? So. I think as long as you're answering those kind of questions as part of your recruitment process, then you're getting some of the way to making it a decent experience. Um, And then kind of meeting candidates to their needs because it's, it's time out for lots of people. So, you know, if you, you know what it's like to apply for a job, you might have a phone interview. So you've got to try and squeeze a half hour, an hour into a day where you're already at work. So you've got to make an excuse to, run out of a room and find somewhere <laughs> to do that. And then you might get invited into a face-to-face interview. So, you know, that might mean a day off or a half a day off. Then you might get invited back to an interview with another set of people. We might get invited in to give a presentation, do something more practical. So, yeah, I can see from a candidate experience point of view, that's, that's pretty annoying. Um, oh, absolutely. And if you don't get the job in the end. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, God forbid that someone doesn't even actually call you and give you some feedback on why you didn't get the job, which is still, unfortunately, a common feature of lots of recruitment processes. So, um, and, you know, the whole transparency around that process and Glassdoor and Indeed and people being able to, you know, it's like any other kind of social media where people go, I didn't like that hamburger the cheese is really yuck or so employers do have to be really mindful about that stuff because it does have an impact on their brand and it's setting up your employee experience from from the get-go and not the you're not giving people the experience that you you want them to have so 
from what we're doing um, at Everyday Massive, it's kind of really using those human-centered design tools and things and saying, you know, what is the journey that we want candidates to go on? So from the moment they come into touch with our brand, what's the journey that we ideally want these people to have? And let's eliminate all of those pain points that, that we're introducing because we think that's the right process to get to the outcome that we want. Like, let's step back and strip it right back and actually journey map what the ideal experience is going to be from a candidate point of view. So I think lots of companies just get really stuck in the old ways of doing things and don't come at it from a place of empathy and don't put themselves in the shoes of the candidate and think, oh, I've already asked this person to take this many hours out of their week or weeks or months (laughs) to meet our needs. How am I going to meet their needs? How do we make this much easier for them? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you that got is, all that, Branka? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> like, It'll be easy. <laughs> when I go back over this, I'm going to take notes. But I mean, but it makes absolute sense because, it, it, you know, it, it, it reflects, it reflects the customer experience thing. It reflects marketing, it reflects all of the like, do your research first, figure out exactly like, what are you selling? What do you want? How, and then once those kind of foundations are in place, then hopefully you've done the legwork so that the wrong people aren't applying so that everybody's not wasting their time. I mean, that's what, that's kind of the summary that I'm hearing. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Um, And you know, that you see some companies do really great fun little um, pre-screens, you know, um, Heineken have done some really fun stuff. There's uh, a company, I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, It's a software company, U-E-N-O. They have a really fantastic kind of um candidate experience to go on it's all gamified and there's little um creatures that you know ask you questions and like there's good fun ways of doing it but again employers have got to be also willing to invest a bit of um you know invest in this stuff so it can't just be um something that you leave just your people and culture team to do like Mm. there's there's lots of creative elements that need to be um, woven into the process. And, um, you know, I think my time over the last couple of years at working with the guys at Everyday Massive is, um, has been really eye-opening in terms of that creative overlay on top of what can be pretty boring people processes. And once you introduce those overlays, how much it elevates um, a process to be something that, is something quite delightful to experience, not not a drain. So, well, you guys have designers, illustrators, writers, strategists, illustrate. Did I say illustrators? Yeah. Like, yep. <laughs> I was like running through a list on my hand. Um, it's like a fully collaborative and creative process. Yeah, it's that full end-to-end kind of experience of making sure we we are mindful of capturing um, all of that from from the outset. So, um, and it's been um, a really iterative process for us over the last couple of years too of um, what's the right point that we bring a designer into this conversation? When should a copywriter be involved? Um, And what we're finding more and more is that everyone needs to be involved right from the get-go because Mm. all of those different ways of thinking have... Um, all those unique viewpoints create the best possible outcome. So 
let's bring them all into the room from the very start um, to set ourselves up for success. Yeah, definitely. And it means that they've got context and, um, mm. yeah, we're, we're all aligned on what the outcome should be from, from, the, from project inception, yeah. And even talking to the collaborators as well, I'm sure would help to, oh, like, from my point of view as well, like when I work with clients, it's a lot easier to understand what's needed when you talk directly from, to them. Um, yes. But yeah, I have a selfish question now too, <laughs> just following on. Because <laughs> um, I am remote, very remote, it feels. Um, and I've worked in-house, but remote. So not technically not in-house. Do you call it out-house? That sounds kind of good. I'm not putting you in the toilet. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the outside, like cubicle. <laughs> um, but at the moment, the way I've structured my work is like I've got a long-term client collaborator it sounds cool I'm going to start using that um but I'm not so I'm not technically part of the team but I'm still involved in like meetings and projects from the start and working collaboratively with people in support and design and um, product and everything like that one do you have any tips for me <laughs> to be a good remote worker and two um how does employee experience work when you have remote employees because i'm i'm noticing a trend of remote first now especially with um SaaS and like tech companies yeah 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 and i've got a good um girlfriend who works in the states for a um for a bitcoin or a blockchain 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 company oh, cool. she's in people ops and she's kind of got her internal clients are employees all over the world so she's you know right in this space of how do you create an employee experience for people who don't have the same physical location that it's multiple mm. geographies and so I mean it's a, it's a much tougher one but it's um, hard <laughs> yeah but I think look I, I'm certainly not an expert at this one but I think it's all of the stuff around using leveraging the technology that's available so I mean, Slack is a no-brainer now. Yeah. Uh, making sure that you do regular video chats so that you do have that um, kind of, yep, you see a human face, I can see emotion and I can mm. connect with how you're reacting to what I'm saying. So um, I think that's important. Um, and then just really small um, moments of connection. So I think, you know, humans are humans and we don't want to just talk about work. So making sure that it's not a call that goes, we jump on a call and it's straight into the business side of stuff, that there's time and space for um, that social chat because that's how we connect and that's how we um, build relationships. Um, so making sure that you factor those little moments of connection into any of those interactions, I think is really important. And where you can, um, getting people together face-to-face, -to -face, even if it's, you know, once a year, if there's an opportunity for people to actually be in the same room, then create those opportunities. And I think in those big software companies and companies that are predominantly remote these days, you do see them um, invest in bringing their teams together once or twice a year so that they are getting that physical um, connection and interactions because... At the end of the day, I don't think you can beat that. Like yeah, remote work is 
plastic and there's there's so many positives to it but yeah nothing beats meeting someone and you know yeah definitely especially when you're in like I don't know if you're an extrovert like me it's you really feed off that interaction with people yeah Yeah, I'm not like I know a lot of developers this way of working suits them because they work better when they are alone but um yeah it's hard it's really hard hard. and and the big challenge for those kind of organizations is depending on what kind of org structure they've got um you know there's there's and there are organisations out there that are working completely flat without kind of any leadership roles and, and very team-based where roles just change with the project. But if they still do have opportunities for leadership roles, then, you know, you need to kind of create environments where you can bring people together to meet and where people get to test those those interpersonal skills in in real life, not not as keyboard warriors. So, you know how do I eyeball someone and have the tough conversation and build Mm. all of the skills that you need to be really effective at kind of dealing with the tough stuff as, as you're invariably going to have to do at some point. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I guess kind of, we always sort of try to summarize um, sort of what people can kind of implement into their own businesses or lives in this case, businesses because if you're implementing employee experience in your life <laughs> I, guess, I guess in like a family unit perhaps but but um what are sort of a couple of things that leaders should think about in order to kind of set up foundations I guess I'm coming at it from a startup sort of point of view um when it comes to employee experience just so you're kind of yeah setting that up so you're not going backwards and trying to yeah so I think um, leaders just need to be really intentional about this stuff. So um, talk to whether you're a business of five people or 10 people or 15 people, I think there needs to be um, a real vision about what do we want to be known for um, in this company? What is our way of working? Um, And have some real um, kind of northern stars. So what are we what are we anchoring ourselves to and be really clear about that. And then Sorry, do you mean in terms of like like things like values and mission and that kind of thing? Or or and what's our purpose? Like yep. you um, I think for Millennials, Gen Z, um, especially, they really want to be working for companies that they can connect and understand and relate from a from a purpose point of view. So, right. I think that's important. I think leaders need to, and especially in a startup, be really conscious of how they communicate. Um, so, what is the narrative that we're building around our brand? Um, how do we want to connect with people? What is going to be, you know, some of those basic things around rhythm of communication and when and what is important to share with, with people in our business and how are we engaging with our people to sense check and make sure that voices are being heard and incorporated along the way. I think, you know, don't, don't take your eye off that. Um, the kind of capability that startups need is always in the technical space. Mm. 
Um, yeah. As you, because you, you know, you're building a product, you're building something that you want to sell or people are going to buy. So you need product or technical experts to build it. Um, and I think that's where you where you start to not get a divergent um, kind of where you don't get divergent thinking because you've, mm. you've brought in all these people because of a technical ability, not because of um, that broader skill set that you might need in a year or two. Yeah. But then kind of like thinking just like trying to map, like take your best, best guess at um, what is the capability we're going to need 12 months from now and 24 months from now? And I don't think you're any further out than there because things just change too quickly. Yeah. Um, and just start to, and don't be afraid to just screw it up and throw it away. <laughs> like yeah. Yeah. you've got to be iterative and go, okay, this is what we think we need. Um, and what are those kind of, um, what are those soft skills that you're still going to need? So we, we want people who are going to be good communicators. We want people who are going to build connection. We want people who will, who aren't afraid to challenge and we want creative thinkers. We want creative problem solvers. So yeah, making sure you probably still, you might see this um, technical expert that ticks all the boxes, but have you done your homework on that other side of the ledger? Um, mm. Or if it does tick all your boxes on the technical side, having a really frank and open discussion to say, we reckon we're going to need your expertise for two years and then we're probably not going to need you. But let's be really upfront about yeah. that's what it is. Like, because I think people appreciate transparency and honesty. Like that's the time you get pissed off in life or when you get blindsided and you don't see something coming. Um, whereas if, that's a conversation you're having from the outset. You, you get to make decisions around, like people get to make decisions about, yep, I'm, I'm on board with that and that's my expectation and I want to do great stuff within the confines or within the time period you've given me. So, yeah. Yeah. So now we get to do the bit that you've all been waiting for, um, <laughs> the pop culture, what we've been reading, what we've been watching for this past week or fortnight or what have you um so let's start with Kerry our guest oh so I've been I I've been reading a little bit of maybe I think it's teen fiction <laughs> oh the best um, so it's a book, YA it's by an Australian author Helena Helena Fox um and it's a book called How It Feels to Float and it's just this really beautifully written book it's a bit coming of age um, of a teenage girl um, kind of navigating all the things that teenage girls navigate and um, it's a story of grief and getting over grief and losing um, a parent at a, a young age and the impact that it has on her and um, yeah a, a beautiful read and just full of great imagery and um, a real rawness and realness to it that I've really enjoyed. So there's my, uh, there's my rating. Oh, <laughs> Is that yeah. Is it a true story? No. Did I miss no. that part? No, I think it's, it's not a true story. So not, yeah. maybe it's loosely based on a true story as most of these things are, but yeah. 
yeah, yeah. so true. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Branka? Um, oh yeah, I, uh, <laughs> so I've, um, started reading a book, um, to my eight year old, um, sort of before he kind of goes to sleep. He, he's a really great reader. And up until now he's sort of been reading his own books, but mostly graphic novels. And so I'm trying to get him to switch over to reading books with no pictures, which I thought would kind of just, he'd naturally go into, but that, yeah, it hasn't happened. So I'm like, yes, I need to do some parenting work here and actually read you the books without pictures so that you can start to see and appreciate what it's like to sort of, to, to see those images in your head rather than on the page. Um, so yes, yeah, so we've started reading a book called Rowan of Rin, which I think I read when I was 12. I was going to say, I, that rings a bell. It was, I, and I probably read it as part of like grade six, you know, <laughs> some kind of requirement, but, but it, it stuck with me and it has this like, in the book, there's this little poem that, so I was 12. I, I can recite that poem to this day, which is actually how we got onto it because one day we were talking and I was like, oh yeah. And there's this book. And I just like recited this poem to him and he's staring at me and I couldn't believe that I could remember it from when I was 12, but must've really ingrained itself. I mean, it's just, it's a book about, it's like a, one of those fantasy, you know, there's a, there's a dragon, there may or may not be a dragon and, you know, <laughs> and there's Sounds a village. Good. Yeah. It's, it's really good. It's really good. And actually the hardest part is, stopping myself from reading the next chapter because <laughs> I want to I want to know what happens <laughs> but yeah, yeah I, would, I would totally do that <laughs> yeah so that's me what about you Laura um I literally just finished today um bossy pants by Tina Fey um our guest last week a week before um recommended that book and god it was a really easy read um yeah yeah I really enjoyed it she's well Tina Fey's background is She's a writer um, and improvisation artist, but she did like the screenwriting. She was head writer at um, Saturday Night Live and stuff. So it was really funny, um, really conversational and just relatable as well. So highly recommend. Um, and then I listened to Patrick Stafford, who is another guest of ours. Um, his podcast. Name drop, name drop. <laughs> I know. Just look at me with all my famous friends. Um, <laughs> Uh, writers of Silicon Valley and he interviewed um I cannot remember her name Tamara Hilms from uh Spotify, Spotify? yeah really good interview um she, so she's the UX writing manager or head of UX writing and she admitted like she didn't know everything and she was constantly learning and it just was kind of like affirming for me that you don't have to know everything every time you go into a new role or something um, there's opportunities to learn along the way and stuff. So yeah, that was a good episode. Oh, awesome. I still have not listened to that. I really need to. Yeah, you should. It's not too long. It's a good one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a good, po- it's a great podcast. Yeah. Yeah. 
Wow, how amazing. That was so much fun. And Laura and I want to thank Kerry again for uh, coming on the show. And we will definitely be exploring if we can bring her back on and sort of, we feel like we've only really just scratched the surface of employee experience. So it would be great to get her back and talk about, um, you know, pick a couple of uh, topics around employee experience and go and do a further deep dive. If you guys have any questions, as always, we are around um, either reach out to us uh, individually on LinkedIn or um, reach out to us on Instagram. Till next time.